everybody. We're back for another episode of the Long Twos podcast. And uh, I thought I would take a different approach to this episode uh, compared to all the other ones. Uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm have Alan Seppenwall on. He's the chief TV critic for Rolling Stone. We're just going to watch the first game of this season. Um, and we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to stop and we're going to take a few months off. And then we're going to watch the last game of this season. And Alan is going to tell me uh, what he thought would happen. And if that measures up to what eventually happened in game 72, you know, asterisk and everything. All right. How does that sound? Alan? Does that sound good? Well played, Mike. Well played. <laughs> uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I love your work um, about TV and I would actually spend an hour talking about that but i think we should talk about the knicks um i was obviously referencing your new podcast which i am a devoted listener to as i was telling you before we got on air i'm watching i'm listening to the uh, camille nunjani one talk about veronica mars i, I listened to john ham talk about uh, gossip girl which was weirdly right in my venn diagram of interest so i recommend it if you want to let the people know where you they can listen to it uh before we start yeah, sure. It's called Too Long, Didn't Watch, and Mike kind of gave away the premise. In each episode, a celebrity guest and I will watch the pilot of a show, and then we'll watch the series finale and nothing in between, and they have to figure out like what happened. Uh, and it's very high concept and really not in any way an ideal way to watch television, but it's been entertaining and enlightening to, to do it so far, and it comes out every Tuesday. And you can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's been a real joy. And, and I may bother you about TV things at the end of this, uh, whether you like it or not. But we're here to talk about the Knicks. You are um, an avowed Knicks fan and enthusiastic tank jiffer. Um, <laughs> not so much this year. This year I've been enjoying the wins mostly. So Yeah, I think you were expecting a lot more than we'll each, you know, last last episode was kind of talking about your gifs. Um, so I guess that's your greatest contribution to Knicks Twitter. Uh, but this season, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday morning. Um, the Knicks are 8-11, and 11, you know, not 500, but I would say relatively speaking, things are good for them. I mean, they've really exceeded expectations to this point, year one uh, of Tom Thibodeau. I, and I guess, you know, you've joked a lot, and especially preseason, like this is the, the tank year, which would be like, I think, the third time in the last, five years or so that this is be that kind of season or something along those lines. Um, what have you, what have you thought of the Knicks this season and just the way that they've played to this point? I have mixed feelings about them. For the most part, I think I'm pleased because there's been clear improvement in Julius Randall in RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson, who are our three best players. Uh, Manuel quickly has looked really good and Tibbs has not hesitated to play him when he's playing well but he also has not like been reluctant to pull him when he's just chucking up shots and they're not going in. Uh, we very like, we have a good coach. It's, it's sort of almost startling to realize what good coaching looks like after so many years and really decades since we had it. I mean, Mike, you've, you've chronicled this team for a while. Like I, when is the last time that it seemed that the Knicks had a clear tactical advantage <laughs> in a game? Oh, it's been a long time. I mean, I don't think you could say that during the Fisdale era, the Jeff Hornacek era. I wasn't there for uh, for the Fisher era. You can tell me more. No, 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 no. I, uh, the, the Mike Woodson time seems kind of weird from the outside of trying to dissect that because so much of it went well and it seemed by happenstance rather than intent as they kind of neglected everything that worked for them this, the very season after they won 54 games. 
I don't know. Do you want to say Mike D'Antoni? Is that fair? I, and I, I almost might want to go all the way back to Van Gundy because I mean, Mike Van, Mike D'Antoni is obviously a great coach, but he never had a good point guard here other than a few weeks of insanity. Um, and so he wasn't able to run his system and he's so dogmatic to that system that I don't really think we got anything closely resembling the best of Mike D'Antoni while we were here. And then, you know, there was a whole bunch of guys in the Isaiah and the Scott Laden era that were, you know, had been good elsewhere, but were not good here. And in some cases were awful here. So it might really be Jeff Van Gundy uh, as the last time the Knicks had a coach where you felt confident in every game. Okay. He knows what he's doing. We may not have as much talent as the other team, but at least we'll be in the game and we won't be futzing around. What's wild about that time between Van Gundy and D'Antoni, though, they're like, they had Larry Brown, who is known as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yes. Uh, they had Lenny Wilkins, who is like one of the winningest coaches of all time and has a great reputation. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing the talent that they had on the sidelines and things went so horribly wrong. <laughs> Uh, it's just uh, this this century for the Knicks has not been good in almost any way. But this this is, like I said, it's mostly been positive. We've had improvements. They're playing defense. They're playing really hard. The offense is mostly a train wreck, and I'm not sure there's anything you can do about that with the talent on hand. But there's also a part of me that is like, I'm happy when we win off the backs of the younger players. And mostly that's what's happened. Cause there's not really a lot of older players on this team. It's not like, you know, that year where like Jarrett Jack or Michael Beasley got us wins that hurt our draft position. But like, I would really like Cade Cunningham. He seems like he would solve a whole lot of problems on this team as with Jalen Suggs. And at the moment, we're not really going to be in position to get them. So I think I'm looking at this more as, this is good. We're getting improvement. That's great. But is anyone on the roster right now able to be the best player on a championship contender? I don't think so. Is anyone on this roster right now able to be the second best player on a championship contender? I don't think so. I think RJ maybe could one day if his shooting gets better, but you know, if my mother had wheels, she'd be a wagon. So like you got to figure out how we're going to get those guys. And that's so, and it seems like the easiest way to do that would be in the draft and this draft in particular. So there is a part of me that still feels a twinge sometimes when we win these games off a fluky three-point shooting or off our opponents missing a ton of wide open three-point shots that thinks, uh, well, I'm happy they won, but am I? Yeah. And I get that, but I, I mean, I think at some point you just need to win games. Uh, and, and this has kind of been the, I guess the, like the, I don't know. I, I, I totally get the understanding of wanting to put together another top five lottery pick worthy season. And I think that was everyone's intent. And maybe there was some uh, emotional investment in that before the season began. Um, but, you know, I, they're eight and 11, right? They're not like crushing it. Um, no, no, they're know. not. There's still, I think, a very reasonable outcome to this season where they finish um, whatever the equivalent is of like 30 wins. Um, in a 72 game season. And that's still high enough for you with, with these new lottery odds. It's, you know, have a good chance at like a top four pick, maybe get a top five pick, something like that, top six. Um, and still play well enough where you kind of have developed these good habits for your young players. You have shown to the rest of the league that you are now a serious organization about the act of winning in real time uh, and get to play it both ways, I think, to some degree. 
No, I think that that is entirely right. Like they are no longer a clown show. There have been a couple games this year, the the Milwaukee one in particular, where it was clear the other team just came in expecting to steamroll us because they didn't take us seriously. And slowly that's going to go away. And that'll definitely help in free agency. Although we'll see if just James Dolan hinders that because he's awful. But no, I, I think you're right that professionalism, a system, and some winning, these are all valuable things. And, and with the flattened lottery odds, maybe even more important. So I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not fretting too much. But there, there's a part of me as a longtime Knicks fan and as someone who has sat through the last 20 years who is just conditioned to always assume the Knicksiest outcome, which in this case would be like we finished the 11th seed in the East. So we don't even make the play-in game but then we wind up like one or two spots out of the cream of the lottery as well, because that's always how it seems to go with us. I mean, if you're, if you're looking kind of the, I don't want to call it the negative outlook for this season, but like, if you're worried about overperforming uh, top lottery picks, like I think you can make a very reasonable argument that there's a large amount of regression coming both in the defense, which I think has been well discussed and um, well parodied on Nick's Twitter to this point, but also like, Who's to say Julius Randle plays like this for an entire season? Uh, and if he, you know, can't match this performance over 72 games, like that offense could crater quickly too. And it's already like number 25 in the NBA, but it still feels like maybe there's a bottom uh, to come just because of the mix of talent and some teams kind of getting adjusted uh, to what the Knicks are doing from scouting report basis. And I, I don't know, they're like Kevin Knox is shooting 40%. Like there's a lot of, there's not a lot, but there's, you know, some people kind of overperforming, I think their historical record that you could also see um, gets a little bit worse and on the margins. And, and that's how you start losing some of these close games. You're definitely right. I, I think the, it's, it's a larger issue. It's not even so much about this season because it feels like Rose and Thibodeau and everyone else have been doing things the right way. It's more me thinking back on missed opportunities because basically the year we got RJ was the one year in the last decade where the Knicks were trying to tank pretty much from start to finish all the other times where they finished badly were seasons where they were trying to be good and were just run incompetently, you know, like Phil Jackson thinking, all right, you know, I'll, I'll trade Tyson Chandler for Jose Calderon and, and that'll work out. And uh, the triangle will save us. Um, and so as a result, like they always finish like somewhere between fifth and ninth in draft picks and thus never get like the actual game changing guy. And even RJ, I'm not sure, is a franchise-altering guy. I think he's, like, you know, number two, maybe number three on a good team. But, like, we got that the one year where we were trying to lose. And so I feel like there's a lesson there somewhere. But I do think <laughs> I do think you're right, though, that, like, they're playing over their heads now. They don't have enough shooting. They certainly do not have enough playmaking right now. And so as the defense regresses, as it's going to, the offense right now, I don't see a lot of avenues for it to get better because like Randall can't play any better than he is right now. So unless quickly turns out to be real and turns out to be more consistent than he's been so far, like the offense is going to be bad and the defense is going to regress to like not best in the league, but even if it's still pretty good and you've got an awful offense, they'll sink enough. And I'm, I'm again, I'm worrying over nothing. You mentioned the RJ thing. Uh, he's played pretty well the last, I, I would say like eight games at this point. Yes. Um, I think it was a very, very difficult rookie season for him in, in a lot of ways. Um, what have you thought of the way that he's played so far uh, in, in this second season in the NBA for him? 
I liked it. I like it a lot. He's better on defense than I thought he was. He's probably the second best defender in that starting lineup after Mitch. Um, you know, he's not like a lockdown guy, but he's somebody you can put on a tough wing and he will at least make him work for it. So that's been impressive. Uh, the playmaking is not like, I mean, one of the things we were sold on him when, when he got taken in the, in the lottery was he's going to be a great playmaking win wing. And I really haven't seen a ton of that. He's some, every now and then will make a good pass or run a good pick and roll. Um, but beyond that, like he's just, he, he's playing much more in control. There are nights when the shot's not falling. There are nights when the shot is falling to an absurd degree, but it feels like he has at least turned into a jack of all trades kind of guy where on the nights when he's hot from three, he's really, really good. And on the nights when he's not, he is still like one of your more valuable players. I've, I've been very pleased with him and his progress so far. See, I think the playmaking is coming along well. Uh, I mean, he's not like a dynamic playmaker at this point, right? I think part of that probably, I don't know if he ever will be. He doesn't have like the burst to just break down defenses, causing everything to collapse and you kick out. Um, but I, I think it's been improved. You know, he's, I think he's a better driver to the rim and then, then getting, uh, like passes for guys to finish there. If you look at yeah. the advanced stats, you know, looking at cleaning the glass right now, like his assist rate is up, uh, his assist rate relative to his usage rate is now slightly above average. Whereas last year it was pretty bad. Um, I see little, I see little improvements for him and, you know, I, I, I maybe it's worth like kind of looking up further, but I wonder how many assists he's been shortchanged just by guys missing jumpers after he passes in the ball. Uh, you know, that's what happens on a team like this, but I feel like I've seen kind of improvement in the way that he's providing for others and setting up for others. Well, you're definitely like, you're looking at the film a lot more closely than I am. So that's good to hear. I, I don't know how much closely, but at least that's, you know, that's kind of my perception of it. Um, I think there's still a lot of room to grow. And I think uh, as, as with everything, it's, it's really this, I think what's hard to understand about RJ Barrett, at least like long-term potential wise is understanding how his, um, I guess, relative shortcomings in certain key attributes, i.e. his athleticism and his shooting can impact his ceiling. And that's quite where I, I can't get to at this point, because uh, if someone who might never become like a very good shooter and someone who's not a, like a super dynamic athlete, like how does that impact what he can eventually become? And most importantly for the Knicks, like where does that put him in their long-term building um, building block type of situation and their foundation creation going forward? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I think the, the shooting is obviously the big question because it, it, if you look at like his, his game logs, it's either he's incredibly hot from three or, you know, incredibly hot from the outside, or he can't throw the ball in the ocean. There's almost no in between with him this year. It's really weird how extreme it's been. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where we're not talking about RJ Barrett, where it's like, well, look, I don't know what becomes of his shot or if his shot ever gets to be together, like kind of always adding this qualifier to him. It's like, he's almost someone like you talk about who you say, oh, you know, if he's healthy, then he's this, but it's also just always about his jump shot in that way. But I think part of that is just because of the state that the team is in right now. He is one of our more valuable players. You know, he's arguably the second at most third best player on the team after Randall and maybe Mitch. And so like his shooting is much more vital than it would be if we were to bring in another star, whether that's via trade, via free agency or via the lottery. And then suddenly he gets moved down a peg and like it's 
he's not exactly like Andre Iguodala because Iguodala was a better athlete and a better and more of a lockdown defender than RJ mm-hmm. is. But they're sort of a, they're similar player types in that they do a whole bunch of things well, but the shooting limits the ceiling, and so they're never going to be like the best player on the team. But like he could be the MVP of the finals or something if if there's a, a lot of other talent surrounding him. There just isn't right now. Which finals and who did the Knicks beat in that finals? Go ahead, make your <laughs> prediction right now. Uh, let's see how uh, 2033. I don't know. It's, okay. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm being conservative just because history has taught me, you know, with the Knicks never to root for anything. They won their second and final championship a few months before I was born. So they have never won a title in my lifetime and I'm not young. I mean, 2033, they finally beat LeBron James and Bronny James playing together now uh, for the Lakers. And uh, I, the parade is going to be nice. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it will be interesting, I, you know, to see when the Knicks um, do make the playoffs the very next time. Kind of just the composition of that roster. I think we we're talking about this with uh, – uh, I think it was I think it was Jonathan Macri and Jeffrey Ballone a few podcasts ago, just like trying to predict who will still be on the team um, the next time they make the playoffs. And it's it's a it's a perverse game to play because it almost first you have to draw out from them when that next time they make the playoffs will be, and you kind of build from backwards from there. Well, are are we counting the play in game as making the playoffs, Mike? According to the betting odds, no. Okay, because I feel like there's a pretty good chance of them making the play in game even with all this regression like i'm not i'm not predicting it i'm not saying it's definitely going to happen but like tibbs is going to grind the hell out of this team to try to get there um i think that's what he's going to want to do so unless leon rose steps in with some kind of white flag trade at the deadline as opposed to bringing in veterans i I think they're at least going to try to do it so i wouldn't be surprised so they could have a playoff type game as early as this season I wouldn't be surprised by a playing game at all. You know, I forget. They were the eight seed, I think, in the East before the loss to the Jazz. I don't know where they are now. Um, But, like, considering how weird this season is probably going to still get, even as it's been weird to this point, uh, with, you know, injuries and with whatever havoc uh, COVID and the safety protocols may wreck, like, if they make it as a 10 seed and they're playing – I don't know, like the Raptors or something in a playing game, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And, you know, I, I think Tom Thibodeau is definitely trying to maximize every night for this team and try to win every game. The thing that really kind of piqued my interest a little bit, um, you know, our Sham Sharania reported that they had interest in Derrick Rose. Yeah. And <laughs> no. That was like a Mr. Burns type of like guttural noise that you just made. I was, um, I was going more for sideshow Bob stepping on the rest, yes, but yes, that's you right. got the show right. Yeah. Wrong, damn it. Wrong Simpsons reference. I deserve to be canceled for this. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I was, that kind of confused me because I just, I, I was like, okay, so how does this look? Are they trading Peyton in this scenario? Like, is this to try to help their chances of winning more games this year? Should they try to make more wins this year. Like that was, that was kind of sent me into a, a confused tailspin. Uh, I am very like, anytime there is a report like that, I start, you know, t- it becomes one of those time is a flat circle kind of moments because <laughs> well, a, we already did the Derek Rose experience uh, and it did not go well in pretty much any way. Even if you leave aside the, that time when he went walkabout with no explanation, but like, 
even if they were literally just to trade Alfred Payton for Derrick Rose or even Alfred Payton and Frank for Derrick Rose, because it's clear Frank's time on the team is basically over. Um, like, what is that getting you? Is Derrick Rose at this point in his career that much better than Alfred Payton? I hate Alfred Payton. I don't want to watch him again. But I feel like Derrick Rose is basically the same guy, just a little bit older. So I, I think that Derrick Rose is, is definitely better. Um, I think he's got some clear cut skills and he's, he's just, I think he's a better player than Alfred Payton. Um, you know, at this point of his career, I, I do want to say in first in defense of Derek Rose, you know, he just left the team unexpectedly for a day and everyone was like, you know, what, what is going on here? Why is he MIA? Um, in some ways it wasn't that bad. If you look at what's gone on since where every NBA star seems to take like kind of a rumspringa in the middle of a season, whenever he's he not a star, he was so far removed from being of the caliber of guy who can get away with that. And that's like, and people still treated him as if he was, and that's what was exasperating about it. I, I think he would make, I think he would make the Knicks better if he were to take the place of Alfred Payton. Um, I just am not sure that's the it, uh, presumably if you trade for Derrick Rose, you have to give up something. I'm just not quite sure that's the path that the Knicks should be getting. Yeah, but... I don't want to give up any assets to get him. But beyond that also like Tibbs is going to treat him like Linus's security blanket and <laughs> the, the dream of Emmanuel quickly starting that's done. If Derrick Rose comes here. Uh, yeah. I mean, Derek Rose was coming off the bench in Detroit is might still be coming off the, the bench in Detroit. I think they're starting Killian Hayes. Uh, so he's not like averse to that type of role. Um, you know, if quickly I'm just saying, like you understand how Tom Thibodeau's mind. Yeah. Works, right. Hey, Hey, listen, listen in res- with respect to Tom Thibodeau, Taj Gibson has been on this team for like two weeks and I don't think he's played a minute yet. True. I will give okay. you that. But, but Taj was brought in at a time when like all our big men were hurt and sort of as an in-case-of-emergency break-glass situation. Derrick Rose would not be brought in to do that. Derrick Rose would be handed the keys to whatever the heck this offense is and, you know, told to make it sputter out of the driveway. I was I was looking back at one of my stories, I think in November before the draft, I was like kind of thinking through some trades the Knicks could make to help their point guard situation, and I suggested that a Derrick Rose trade was possible under the rule that Tibbs has to have at least one old bull on the roster. And that still holds up pretty well. Oh God. Can they bring I... back Luol Dang? No. <laughs> I'm not no, even. <laughs> Joe Kim Noah is still the third highest paid Nick. Yeah, that that's actually true. <laughs> oh my God. At least bring him back. If you're going to pay him. I, I still thought that they should. I wrote it at the time that they should not have stretch waived him. I stand by that now as much as I did then. Um, I, I I agree. Every all those moves were made under what turned out to be a very mistaken belief about what Kevin Durant was going to do, and you know, otherwise we would have him off the books already. So it's all so stupid. Also, it's like you could just clear cap space when you need to. Um, you don't need to like pay out years ahead of time to yep. do it. Oh my god! Oh. By the way, speaking speaking of that particular period of stupidity, you wondered where the Knicks were ranking. I just looked it up. They are still the eighth seed in the East as of right now. More beautifully, though, if the season were to end today, yeah, the Knicks would have a lottery pick. It wouldn't be theirs. It would be the Dallas pick. Yeah, that's amazing. I was looking at this the other day. Is it still fourteen fifteen for them back to back? Uh, I don't, I, I haven't, I gotta, I gotta look at the tankathon rankings. I am at NBA standings right now. Give me a second. 
Are uh, you are you more rooting for the Knicks to win or the Mavericks to lose? Well, the thing is, if the Mavericks do keep losing, it certainly takes away some of my agita about the Knicks succeeding. No, right now the Dallas pick would be 12 and the Knicks would be 15. Okay. I feel like uh, right now Knicks fans are shorting Mavericks stock. Like it's <laughs> all the hedge funds against GameStop. Like the, I, I don't know like what they're rooting for more. I, I think there's a large, um, you know, I'm torn because I love Luka Doncic, but I want that team to lose, 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 and keep on losing. So uh, I I, I, got to root for him to just go supernova and Porzingis and everyone else to play terribly. I, 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 listen, I think over the course of a season, they're what, they're eight and 10. Um, Yeah. I I think the Mavericks will get better. Uh, But oh, wow, they've lost three straight as well. Yeah. It's weird what's going on with Dallas. that's the thing about the season though, is like everything is just so weird. I just don't know how you can kind of predict everything. I, I you know, like there's LeBron, uh, there's the Clippers, you know, and the Bucks will be fine. Like, but everyone else, even like, you know, Philly, Denver, all these other teams, like anything can happen. Um, and so I really yeah. don't know what the hell is going to happen the rest of the season. No, I can see either. the Knicks making the play in tournament and just like, if you get them in the play in tournament, Tom Thibodeau can scheme up two wins. Maybe if that, if that's what they have to do, like everything is on the table. I have asked you this before. And at the last time I asked, you didn't know, but I'm curious if they make the play in tournament, like how does that affect them being in the lottery? <laughs> I think, I think if you make the play in tournament, um, you can't be in the lottery. I believe because you're a playoff team. But like, if you make the play in tournament, but you don't make the actual playoffs, you're still not in the lottery. Oh, in the play, the play in tournament. No, then you're then you're in the lottery. Okay, because it's the 16 teams that you know that are outside of the lottery. Um, okay. So if you if you play your way in, I believe that um, I believe you're not in the lottery. I think that's your penalty for making the playoffs. You can't have a lottery pick. Right. That's the way we view the NBA now is you get penalized for making the playoffs as an eight seed. So you're yeah, not allowed it's a, a lottery and it pick. turns me into this guy who's rooting against marginal wins. So but I, here's don't, the, I don't like what I've become. <laughs> just take the wins, man. Like just, just root for that. I think it's as simple as that. Like hope quickly plays well. Hope Toppin um, starts to play at some point, you know, yeah, like, that's, that's my big agita at the moment is especially after that Kings game, just the whole, Taking Obi and not taking Tyrese Halliburton just uh, it pains me. It pains me because I feel I've I've been to this rodeo before and I do not like it. The Toppin thing, it's not that it's confusing to me. I just wonder where it's all going. You know, the minutes are going to be hard for him to get. You know, Julius Randle, if he's going to play the way he is and the way that that Tom Thibodeau uses players, um, he'll play at thirty six minutes a night probably. Yeah. So, you know, that's fourteen minutes of kind of that power forward role for top in and you can find some more time for him. So you're thinking 15 to 25 minutes available for him every night, but like, it's also about the way that they're using him. It's just, I I'm confused how they're, they're trying to draw out his rookie season um, and trying to kind of develop him and also see what he can do at this level as a rookie. The, the whole point I thought one of the nice things about drafting was that he should have been most NBA ready compared. Exactly. To and he's not, he, I mean, he looks much more of a developmental prospect then a 19-year-old like Halliburton or, so, or a number of guys taken after him. It's very frustrating. Like, I, I was reluctant to take him to begin with because it felt like 
even if he was this polished guy straight out of Dayton and he was ready to go, at best he was going to be the version of Julius Randle that existed before that season. And we already had that. And where did that get you? And obviously, like Randall has now gone supernova, and that's great and it's exciting. But Toppin looks really raw, and he's ancient by NBA rookie standards. Like it looks like he has so much progression he has to do. And every now and then he'll do a nice post move or a nice cut to the basket. But like we could have taken Halliburton, we could have taken Vassal, we could have taken a whole bunch of other guys who went later, all of whom are younger and look more NBA ready and look more modern than him. Like, like what is, what role does even the ideal version of Obi Toppin uh, have in the modern NBA as like a focus guy, as opposed to just a complimentary piece? Yeah. I think that's an important question. You know, I, I thought, you know, they should go, they should have gone with Vassell or, um, Halliburton just because one, you know, if you can get a wing who can defend and shoot threes, there's an immediate value to that, let alone what he can eventually become. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, I, you know, I'd heard such good things about him and like the way that he plays a ball, uh, you know, kind of a guard who can handle the ball. Maybe he's not like your primary dominant playmaker, but he just makes things happen. You know, yeah. he kind of has that ability to also blend in and facilitate on good teams as the Knicks saw uh, Friday night. The thing with Toppin is like, I don't know the value of getting a big who can't really defend in the league now as good of a score he might be, you know, maybe he pops and he becomes like John Collins, something like that for sure. Then I see, yeah. okay, that's worth number eight pick. But to this point, he's just kind of, he's been a little bit disappointing and it's not only just in, because he hasn't gotten the opportunity. It, it's, you know, he, at times it looks like he's just playing like a really big wing um, shooting from three catch and shoot building out against closeouts. Um that doesn't seem like it's playing to its strengths unless I've just totally misunderstood what his game is. No, I, I'm I'm entirely with you on that. At least it's better than like that opening night when he was just lingering on the three-point yeah. line and throwing up those mood shots. That was terrifying. Like we've at least seen glimpses here and there since he came back from the injury of the player we were told he was at Dayton with, with the passing and the low post moves and all of that. But I, the one that, the one consolation I give myself is this, which is, if we had taken Halliburton or even if we had taken Vassell at eight, I don't think we would have taken quickly in the twenties. I think we would have taken a big man then. And I really like Emmanuel quickly. And there's a chance he ultimately turns out to be a better player than Halliburton. I feel like he has a higher ceiling than Halliburton, even though Halliburton's playing better right now. Uh, and so I'm glad to have him, but Toppin worries me. You think Emmanuel quickly has a higher ceiling than Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, but just because like, uh, I feel like he can do more thing like there, as you said, Halliburton is probably not ever going to be your primary point guard. He's really great as a secondary guy on a team that has De'Aaron Fox, but I don't know that he can run your offense. And we've at least seen glimpses of quickly being able to do that. Like he's much more of a point guard than anybody assumed coming out of the league. And maybe he tops out at Lou Williams, you know, that kind of guy. And that's still really valuable, especially with the 25th pick. But if he actually is a point guard, I feel like he could turn out to be better than Halliburton. He's not yet. Like, I'm not insane or anything. Halliburton's the more <laughs> valuable player right now. But he's quickly, I am very pleased with him. And I don't think we would have taken him if we had gone with a guard or a wing with the eighth pick. Yeah, that might be right. Um, I do think that Toppin has looked a lot better when he's played with, you know, someone like quickly feeding him the ball on the pick and roll. And, you know, he kind of needs a point guard to help create for him, which is entirely foreseeable. 
even yep. when they made that draft pick. So I, I think he's being hurt by not playing with a point guard who can get him the ball, who can make him look better. Um, maybe one of these days the Knicks will have one of those and maybe it'll be quickly. We'll see. I, I am still, uh, I'm not all the way in on Emmanuel quickly. I know he's, he is the darling of um, the Knicks fans eyes at this point. And I totally get why, uh, I, you know, it's weird. If you look at it, like he's shooting 37.8% from the field right now. Um, there's yeah. a lot of room to grow for him. There is. And he's uh, just, yeah, sorry. no, no, I was just gonna, there's a lot of room to grow for him. And, you know, I think consistency is a big thing. And I know that's a kind of like a cliche thing to say, but there's still a lot of games where, you know, Alfred Payton is playing the most of the minutes because like quickly just hasn't, played well enough to earn more playing time that game yeah no and I, it doesn't feel to me like Tibbs is deliberately playing the old the older guy over quickly when quickly plays well quickly gets a lot of run in those games so I, I think he's handled that that very admirably so far quickly he's just fun he lo- it's <laughs> he not just fun. like the, he, he's just so unique yeah it's not just the floater thing where like he doesn't go to the basket but the floater is often so effective that it feels like he's getting a layup. It's the way he looks. It's the way he's always like bouncing on the balls of his feet. He's got the low socks. He's got that hair that seems like it should either be much shorter or much longer, which at first annoyed me, but now I really like it because when he runs around, it, it's sort of flopping around in a way that almost looks like speed lines in a comic book. Yeah. So it creates the illusion <laughs> between that and just the constant movement. It creates the illusion of him being even faster than he actually is. And he already kind of lives up to his name in that way. So I just enjoy watching him aesthetically in a way that I don't always with, with good players that we've had. So he's fun. Yeah. And he does so many things that just kind of like, you know, that are so easy to recognize as undeniably fun and in like almost artistic in a way. Um, the floater obviously being one of them and just how quickly he gets it off. And, you know, I think anytime you see a nice floater, there's like, this aesthetic to it that's enjoyable because of the arc that it gets. And especially when you're shooting it from like the free throw line, the drawing fouls thing is, is pretty fun. Um, if he ever becomes kind of a consistent and good three point shooter though, look, they, they definitely have something there, especially relative yes. to the 25th overall pick, right? Usually like maybe you get a rotation player if you're lucky. And if you do like that's a win already. And it seems like they'll get at least a rotation player here. And so that's a win already for the Knicks. And that's pretty good. Yeah, it's weird because if you look at it, um, with the maneuvering they did on draft night, it was clear they were going after Tyrese Maxey when they traded up to 23. And then Maxey got taken a couple of picks earlier by Philadelphia and they immediately moved down and they got quickly. And so I have a friend who's a big Sixers fan and we keep going back and forth, like which of them would you rather have? And they're, they're very different kind of players in that Maxi is very good at getting to the rim and quickly doesn't go there at all. And Maxi can't really shoot and quickly often can shoot well, but not always, like you said, his, his percentage right now is not great. Um, but that's sort of a, a fun thing to keep track of, especially given how much this team has become Knicks East. Like, were they right to want Maxi before quickly or, and did they just sort of luck into this guy or not? I don't know. I mean, I think most draft picks have a good amount of luck involved, right? Unless you're picking super high. And even then, yes, I guess it'll be, it, it will be interesting to track because it's, um, you know, like their games are similar to some degree. Just they're both Kentucky guys, Kentucky guards. They both love that floater. Um, you know, Maxi gets the benefit of coming into a very different situation. Um, and so he gets to, to kind of grow a little bit slower that the Sixers don't need him right away. Although it seems like based on some reporting that was out there, that was the holdup to the, 
James Harden trade, which is crazy to me. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I listen, listen, Tyrese Maxey, I get if you like him, but if you're really getting trying to get James Harden, like you trade, you trade Tyrese Maxey. That's my thought on that. Yeah, I I th- I get the why the why Philly would have been trying to hold him on just because is we saw with what the Nets had to give up the package Philly would have had to give up would have basically locked in this exact roster for a long time. So if you have like one re- like promising cost controlled prospect that you can keep, like you better do that if you can. But you know, I would rather have the beard for sure. I mean, they that roster. I don't know, like with. Embiid and with Tobias Harris and his contract, and then you trade for James Harden, or even if you keep Ben Simmons, you know, everything that you're going to do to that roster is on the margins. And Daryl Morey is really good at that. I would just have the, I would prefer to have the like the supernova offensive talent to go along with that really big, talented center guy you got. Can I? Okay. So you brought up Daryl Morey. So here's, here's my question for you James Dolan raced to hire Leon Rose. Like he could not have been in more of a hurry to hire this guy who had never been an executive before, rather than waiting to see if Maury shook free, if Masai shook free, if, if, you know, if he could hire Karnishevis, who at least had been like an assistant executive, any of these other options. And a lot of these other guys have done quite well so far. Maury like completely reshaped the Sixers in impressive ways. How do you feel about what Rose has done so far? Uh, to me, he remains a blank slate. Um, what he did this offseason it was small and it was nice additions on the margins, but you know, it wasn't like a large restructure of the roster. The, ro- the Knicks are this year as pretty much what they were last year. Just some different players are in there who are kind of similar talent levels. I thought he could have actually gone further this offseason and gotten um, a good player to add to the team. Uh, you know, it's you know, I think the New York Times, Mark Stein reported that they offered a four year deal to Gordon Hayward. The money, obviously, we don't know about, but like they need they need more talent on the roster. And the thing that I can't answer, and I don't know if anyone has to this point, maybe I'm missing someone's reporting on is it's just like what the short term plan is for the Knicks. I don't know what the intent of this season is and where it fits into the long term planning. Yeah. Um, that would help me understand things, but like. If they just were content to go into this year and be like, hey, Tom, listen, we're going to give you this roster. If you can turn it into the eighth worst record in the league, you're doing yeoman's work over here. And if not, and and they crater, that's fine too. Okay, I get it. Then that kind of makes some sense as to how they compile this roster as you did. You need some scoring. You need some this and that here just to be respectable from night to night. But if the intent was like maybe to get to an eighth seed or a 10th seed even and like, they just missed out on some guys. I, I don't know. I, I just think like they need more talent. They seem to keep kicking that down the road. Cause even the guys like Alec Burks are on a one-year deal and Julius Randall is essentially, you know, on another one-year deal after this summer, as he was last uh, off season. Um, I, I just, I'm trying to figure out what the long-term planning is and how do they get to their ultimate goal? I mean, the seven, the $18 million in roster space in salary cap space that they have is a very nice chip to wield, but like, what are you going to do with it? What would you give up to get, let's say a, a good player who hits the market? That's that's, I'm just, I, I just don't know what to think of it yet because I, I don't know what all the, the master planning is for. I mean, everyone yeah. kind of has their idea around the league, which, you know, Maybe they're trying to load up for one angry star down the road who decides New York is where he wants to go. But I think that's a, you know, that's a fragile path to go down. 
it's a fragile path and obviously there's not going to be free agents available for a couple more off seasons because everyone's signing extensions yeah the 21 so, class has gotten a lot worse very quickly yeah so i i don't know and things like the top and pick where like he took the player rep by caa and repped by his son like as as part of the agency team well I, I think that's that's overdoing i think his his son is kind of like a tertiary agent i know but on you that know team like it, it it seems as if he was locked in on top and that's what all the reporting was and you know i mean i guess he Toppin was hyped as a top five pick but we've seen that maybe they should have looked at it more carefully so I don't know. I think mostly I think he's done good things like the the Ed Davis maneuver where they turned five million dollars mm-hmm. worth of cap space into three second round picks. That's kind of nifty. And that's something the Knicks haven't done in forever. But every time there's this rumor about like trading assets to get Derrick Rose or to get <laughs> some of these other like, you know, veterans who are out there, you know, there, there was like a Kelly Oubre rumor the other day. I don't want Kelly Oubre like unless they're paying me to take him. Uh, and uh, I don't know that they're going to do that. But again, we don't know anything. We're just in an information vacuum. But because of the way the Knicks have always operated, there's always the looming threat that that's how they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of hanging over everyone's head at this moment, both among um, fans and kind of the reputation for the Knicks too, is like how much will history guide what they do in the future? Um, will they actually have the time to build a slow and steady uh, development course for the franchise, which I don't really remember anyone having the, the patience to do both, you know, at an ownership level and a front office level. Um, and I don't know, I like, I, I would be lying to you if I said, this is what they want to do, because I, I just don't have that information. And it's going to be interesting. I, I'm curious, I guess maybe this off season will be the first like true off season that we can see how Leon Rose wants to build this team. Um, I'm curious what they do ahead of the trade deadline. I like if they're like right out there, you know, right beyond the the eighth or ninth or 10th seed, like, will they try to make a move and try to push for it a little bit? Uh, will they just let things linger and keep the course as is? I think that can be kind of telling. Yeah. Like, I mean, are they going to try to flip Burks for a pick? I don't know. I, I mean, it wouldn't hurt, but again, you know, at that point, like are is the incentive there to like, keep chasing that playing tournament um, or is it to just like get as many long-term assets as you can, even if it's a, like another second round pick, you know what I mean? Um, I know which way I would go just because of how I value things. Same. Uh, I, I don't know what we're Leon, on the same page. Yeah. I don't know what Leon Rose would do because these, this is all new. He has, there's, it's not like he worked in a certain front office and you could say, okay, he comes from the Sam Presti tree, the RC Buford tree or whatever. Like yep. there's just straight up nothing to go on. You know, William Wesley, Worldwide West is, his, you know, close friend and is also someone who has influence in that front office. Same thing there. Brock Aller worked in Cleveland, um, who went many different paths of many different GMs. You know, Walt Perrin, like there, there's just nothing there, I think, to draw out kind of a, um, a tangible a storyline for what the front office uh, thinks based on past experience. Yeah, I it's I I don't know, and that's why I would feel better if they had actually hired a GM with track record, especially somebody as good as Maury, rather than rushing to do this. But like he hasn't done anything stupid yet, other than maybe the lottery pick, and and that's you know a debatable thing at this point. Well, that could have if you know if Obin Toppin doesn't pan out, that could just be pure like bad drafting, which happens yeah. to many GMs very often. Yeah, I mean, even Walt Perrin, like he he had a lot of hits in Utah. He also took a lot of players who didn't work out. He took yeah. Dante Exum like fourth. So yeah, things you know, there's like 
making bad draft picks is just kind of part of the job when, you, when you're a GM. Like, it just happens. Drafting is not so much a skill as it is. Uh, but we, but we've just been burned so many times with this, like taking Kevin Knox when Michael Bridges was right there, when SGA was on the same team as Kevin Knox, you know, yeah, things like that. So it's like they've made so many mistakes that they can't afford to keep making them. That's what that's the frustrating thing. Like, they would have more margin for some of these errors if they had done smarter things sooner. So now like I'm judging the current administration in part off of the mistakes of previous ones that they've been stuck with. Yeah, I get it. Look, you've been hurt. You're uh, psychically, you are in a bad place and it's just, you know, it's almost lashing yourself for the errors of past administrations. You know, I mean, they, they took a guy because he like did well in a three on three scrimmage. That's, (laughs) that's about as stupid as it gets, Mike. You know, oh, the SGA thing is kind of bad. Um, the you know, like that reminds me, you know, they signed Ron Baker, right? I think it was the same year as an undrafted free agent when he played with Fred Van Vliet at Wichita State and they draft Kevin Knox two picks before uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. They were playing the same Kentucky team, yeah, yeah, that's not a good look. I don't know, there's no defense there. No, no, there, there really isn't. And, and at this point, like Knox has been better, but that, like, at this point, maybe he's like. Steve Novak. And that's, you know, see, that's the reaction. Uh, all right. I, I'm just, I'm just thinking of the Steve Novak comp. I, that's something I did not see coming. If well, no, he's like, it's like, he doesn't do anything well, but shoot corner threes or sometimes threes from the top of the key. He still is a nightmare in traffic. He's a nightmare handling the ball nightmare around the basket. He often looks like he's never played the game of basketball before, but his stroke is beautiful. So the, the, the shot is nice, but you know what? If you can get a six, nine guy who can shoot 40% from three, if that, that is truly what he becomes. I think that's a nice piece. It's not what you wanted initially. It's not, I mean, after that first summer league, right? The expectations were that Kevin Knox would dominate the league for years and decades to come. Um, that hasn't turned out to be true, but it's, it's not nothing. Um, and it's at least a player that you'd want to keep long-term. You know, I, I think I've seen, I've seen some uptick in his productivity defensively. I think he should get credit for that. I think he's playing better defensively. And I think with uh, Tom Thibodeau, if you're not playing better defensively and giving more effort there, like you're just not playing. Uh, so I think part, of, part of the problem is he was playing. I felt like he was playing better when Toppin was out because they could play him more as a four, yeah. which is what he feels like he should be. And there's just no room for him to do that if Randall and Toppin are getting all of those minutes. Yeah. And I think that's fair. That's fair. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, look, there's going to be injuries throughout the season. Like there will be more opportunity for him to go back to that at some point. And it's on, it's also on the coaching staff to get him playing in the best position to succeed. Right. Like it's, I, I know we always, we always put like kind of the, the pressure on the player and the blame on the player. And then, you know, the, the coaching staff gets only success when they're, they're overperforming things, but it's on them too. Um, but I think there's at least, you know, optimism about him that like there wasn't last year. Yeah, no, no, last year he looked like he had no business ever playing, you know, the game of basketball ever again. And now he at least looks like he could be a utility player. So, you know, I'm not sure any, is there anyone on the team who looks worse than they did prior to this year? Maybe Peyton. Um, yeah. Alfred Peyton, I guess he's marginally worse. I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. is just out of the rotation altogether. Yeah which is, you know, um, I, I've been surprised Frankie Okina doesn't play more because I thought that he would do the things that, that Tom Thibodeau wants him to do, but maybe 
just with the offensive situation as it is for the Knicks right now, maybe they just feel they can't afford um, to put him on there on the court and kind of like maybe punt a little bit offensively at, at a guard spot. Well, as, as is often the case with Frank, he got hurt at the worst possible time because he, yeah. he had strung together a couple of decent games where he was playing well as a three and D wing. There was one where I think he went like four for four from mm-hmm. deep. And then immediately like he heard his whatever and was out for a month. <laughs> so he led by the time he got back, everyone's healthy again. And in theory, Reggie Bullock is better at those th- being that guy than Frank is, even though I think the idea of Bullock is, is better than the reality of him at the moment. So yeah, he's really kind of been underperforming. Like I've been, I thought he would be a much better three-point shooter, and it's just uh, maybe it's just not there for him since he came back from that injury. Um, that's that's the thing is like, will he lose playing time eventually if he just can't shoot it uh, as well as he's supposed to? But then again, the Knicks don't have many other options, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just they they're just so shooting deprived. It's really tough. And, but that's you know those are kind of moves that they can still do this year without really impacting their long term you know plan or really hurting themselves in terms of taking away from the picks and assets that they have going forward. Um, you know I think they have so many picks over the next like six years or something like that. Just to spend it on getting shooters, just to spend it on getting players who can help them now and for the long term. I think there's a there's an a, I think there's an importance to getting players who can help you now, even if it hurts you a little bit. Um, because I, it's important to put a coherent team out on the floor. It'll help guys like Knox. It'll help guys like Toppin like quickly develop and get better too. No, I agree. I agree with that entirely. And this team is constructed in a way that's not doing most of the players any favors other than Randall, because the, the lack of shooting and playmaking has put the ball in his hands a ton. And to his credit, he's done great with it. You know, this it's like all these things that Fisdale claimed Randall could do Turns out he can actually do it so long as he's not being coached by David Fisdale. <laughs> do you keep uh, Julius Randle after this season? Like, what's your long-term plan with him? What are you doing? You you get to play GM for the Knicks. What do you do? It's tough because I don't think Randle... Randle cannot be the best player on, like, a contender. I don't know that he can be the second best player because I, I feel like a lot of his value right now is because he's dominating the ball so much because we don't have any other options. Yeah. And if you bring in a real point guard or you bring in a real playmaking wing or something and they're getting the ball, how much does Randall's value drop? And at that point, what do you pay him? Cause he, like at the moment he's, he's being entirely reasonably paid. He's arguably a bargain at, at 20 million relative to what he's been, do- been doing. He's not going to come cheaper for the next contract. He's probably right. going to cost more. And I don't know what the value is, but at the same time, like where can you trade him and get equal value? Because again, he's a weird fit and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of teams who would necessarily want to take him on at the cost and at like the, the amount of time he's dominating the ball and the fact that he's, he's better defensively this year, but he's still not like a defensive stopper or anything as your, as your main big man. So I don't know, like, where could you trade him and get a package worth giving up what he's provided to the team so far? It's a very tricky situation with him, I think. Chris Stops Porzingis for Julius Randle. Who says no? (laughs) (laughs) Randle is better than Porzingis right now. And in that way, like, in that way, weirdly, the trade kind of worked out. It's not in the way that it (laughs) intended for it to do, but the trade gave the Knicks the cap space to sign Randle Randall's been better. It gave them the cap space to sign Marcus Morris, which they then turned into the draft pick, which became Emmanuel quickly. 
and they still have two more draft picks to come. It was still a stupid trade because they were like, because if they had just traded KP on his own without attaching Hardaway and Courtney Lee, they would have gotten a lot more for him, but they were just so convinced uh, Durant and Kyrie were coming that I, yeah, I I'm going to get mad again. <laughs> I was, but I was answer, sorry. No, I was saying, I was reading something that uh, Anthony Slater wrote for us at the athletic kind of looking back at the Andrew Wiggins, the Angelo Russell trade from a year ago. Um, and I was thinking like, you know, what's the last big trade that the Knicks have made? It was the Porzingis deal. And it's like, thinking through that two years, we're two years removed now. I think the two year anniversary is coming. Uh, like actually we're recording this on 28th. I think, I think it happened on the 29th if I remember right. Um, oh boy. And I'm just, you know, I think it's become a little more complicated to understand who wins that deal. But uh, as, as you said, I think it was fraught at the time and I didn't agree with the logic behind it. Um, but it is aging a little bit better for the Knicks now. Obviously, we won't really know for another few years just to see what Porzingis ultimately becomes in terms of as a player, how healthy he stays, all those things. But um, at least, you know, for the Knicks part, I think it's looking a little better. I would not have wanted to give KP a max contract given his health issues, you know, historically. And the fact that, again, I think that's fair, of- too. Like he he would have one month a season where he played like the guy that we think of him as, and then the rest of the season he was not that. And so yeah. as a result, I, I the, the issue wasn't trading him. The issue is what we traded him for and why. If uh, that becomes the number ten pick in this draft, how do you feel? I definitely feel better. I definitely feel better uh, at that point. I guess that's still on the table. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I. <laughs> I don't think that Dallas is going to be a non-playoff team. I think with Luca, you're just too good. Like you have too good of a player to miss the playoffs and with everything else there and Rick Carlisle and all that um, stuff. But like, if that becomes the 10th pick in this draft, I mean, all of a sudden everyone's going to rewrite history, I think. And yeah. um, I don't know. That's I, I am interested. I think that there's going to be a long tail to that trade. And I'm curious to see how it all plays out when we talk about this in 2025. Not to play the role of your editor, Mike, but with that anniversary coming up, it feels like there might be a story in there for you, right? <laughs> I, I have tried to report out on that trade a little bit. It's a, it's a difficult thing. I, I still think like everything happens so weird and so fast that it's not as it seems. I think when we report at the time, right? Like what, what wasn't the thing that they, he came into the meeting on a Thursday, um, said he wanted to be traded. Like two hours later, there's a trade in place to the Mavericks. I think we reported at the time, like there was actually a trade in place the night before. So th- there's a very interesting question of pretext and the actual timeline of, of everything that happened. And the process seemed a little flawed, but. No, yeah. but do you agree that like, if they had traded him on his own, if they had called every team in the league and said, do you want, what will you give us for Kristaps Porzingis by himself? They would have done better than they did trying to use him as a sweetener to unload Hardaway and Lee. Yeah, look, I totally agree. I, I think like, Trading a guy who was at the time a 23-year-old all-star to open cap space was wrong. Um, I think what we know and I think we, we knew at the time is you can open up cap space if you need to. You can tra- If you know Durant and Kyrie are coming and you need to trade away Tim Hardaway Jr., you attach a first in two seconds and no one is going to kill you for trading a first-round pick then. That's what the Knicks, uh, that's what the Nets did, if you remember. And no one said, oh no, Brooklyn, you can't trade your first round pick. Sorry, you can't get KD. Like no one would have killed the Knicks at that point. Um, yep. 
I think you can open up cap space. The whole point of picks is to make, you know, is to obviously select young players and hopefully you get someone and you build out the team, blah, blah, blah. But it's also to facilitate the general improvement of your team. However, you happen to do that. I, I agree with you. Like there I, it just, it would boggle my mind if there was not a, a like a frothier market for just Kristaps Porzingis than, um, you know, three months of trying to woo DeAndre Jordan, uh, two unsettled first round picks and uh, what one day of Wesley Matthews. <laughs> no. And don't forget Dennis Smith jr. Like I think and, they also thought that like Smith was going to be much better than he was. And that would make it look better. And instead he's just been a fiasco. Yeah. I wasn't, I was never a huge Dennis Smith jr. Fan. I think he was obviously a much better prospect than like the regression for him has been just, you know, almost unfathomable. Um, yeah. Just how, how far he's fallen behind. I, and I, it's it's crazy i don't even know what to say about that just how quickly that's all come apart for him um yeah but you're right i think you could have done better than just you know than dennis smith jr plus two picks for Kristaps porzingis uh but we're the knicks we do things stupidly it's just uh, as it always was and hopefully not as it always will be well i think things are looking up though i think there should be a level of optimism um yeah, there's nothing we've now. done that just makes me tear my hair out under this administration. Like, <laughs> again, even the draft pick, you can question it and it's not looking good so far, but it's that's a thing that even good general managers do. You're right about that. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. Like, I think this upcoming offseason will really be uh, the tell for what he intends to do, how he intends to do things. Um, and then maybe we could get a better idea of who, of who Leon Rose, executive Leon Rose, really is. <laughs> is there anything else on your mind? Anything else as, as uh, about the Knicks that's been, uh, I don't know, grinding your gears or something you're excited about? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm a little worried about this Mitch situation with, with that tweet and some of the mm. other social media stuff. He doesn't seem happy. I, 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 I don't know. And I, my word, and I can't really ask you because you're not in the locker room. You're doing everything. No, virtually. that's right. I'm doing it by zoom. Everything you see is put on MSG network like two hours later. So you can't just like, like sidle up to Mitch and like chat with him off the record in a way you could have in any other season. No. And it's, uh, it bothers me. It's, you know, it sucks obviously from every standpoint, um, the media access and the way that things are done this year, it just really sucks. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is not the same scenario that we're used to seeing in terms of reporting things out and just getting to know guys. And, um, I don't know. <laughs> The Mitch thing is it's he's he's you know he's he's kind of like an interesting guy you know and as everyone knows like he makes decisions quickly I think he's on agent number 6 now in 3 plus years as a professional um the Knicks have to make a decision at some point whether it's this summer or next whether to commit to him long term with a contract extension if they want to do that and he's obviously clearly getting better as a defender the offense is still uh, what the offense is, but I, I think there's legitimate questions about how much you want to invest in him uh, for the future. Yeah. It's kind of like, I heard someone say this the other day, like centers have be, who can't shoot have become like running backs. who <laughs> don't really catch passes in the NFL. Like they used to be the thing that every offense was built around. And now like you just get them on the cheap. So yeah, like, there was a while there where Mitch was clearly our best prospect. And in some ways our best player, and he's better now. He's like you said, he's a better defender. Even if he's not blocking as many shots, you can just clearly see him directing the, the defense more and doing more things to impact the other team. 
So that's good. But I don't know, like, if he's never going to shoot and like he's a devastating pick and roll player, but we're not really running a lot of pick and roll plays for him. I don't know how valuable he ultimately is. And at that point, like, do you trade him and what can he get for him? I listen, that's how that's kind of how I view things is if you're a center who can't create for themselves or even stretch out the floor. Um, yeah, unless you're like Rudy Gobert. Uh, I, I just don't think you're necessarily worth paying $15 million a year for, you know, three years or something like that, unless it's like the final piece on a, on a good team or a really good team that you think can put you over the top, whether it be a finals appearance or like getting deep into the playoffs and the Knicks aren't there yet. So the timing of it makes it difficult as well. Um, but just look at how, how many bigs there are around the league that you can get for like the minimum or close to the minimum. Um, and how many teams are starting kind of like, truly uh you know like really good centers and paying them a lot i just i don't think it's the best use of your salary cap space you know like you can get a like a, a javel mcgee and, and paper it together with another guy like that and i think you'll be okay for the most part for the season as long as they're defensively sound yeah i, I mean you saw that with the lakers like i i get that they're like the the most like explosive version of this because they have LeBron and Anthony Davis, but like they had Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and they made it work at center and, and there was no issues for an entire season. They won a title, right? Like, yeah, it, it I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. They have to make a decision on paying him. They have to make a decision on keeping him. Um, and I, it's a tough one. I, I, I don't know that I'd want to pay him $15 million or, you know, $12 million, something like that. And I like there was a long time where like anytime there was a rumor that the Knicks were thinking about shopping Mitch, I would want to scream and I'm past <laughs> that now. And part of that is just because we have more assets than we did before. But part of it is I think I were realizing some of the limitations, the you know, like his ceiling as a player and you know how valuable that is in the modern NBA. Yeah. I, and that's why I'm curious, like when he'll look, I don't know what the, what the hell the tweet meant. Uh, I'm not here to like parsing out meaning no. of tweets that quickly get deleted. Maybe we'll actually talk to him, you know, today after practice or something like that. And he can explain his tweets. Um, but at some point we got to see what he can do offensively. Right. And if it's just, there's not going to be any growth there. Uh, you know, I I've heard it since like his, his rookie year, you know, from like, you know, his camp saying that he can shoot more, like he just needs that opportunity or something like that, but it's just, he's got the opportunity, you know, like we see him on the perimeter. We see him standing flat footed uh, for dribble handoffs, not in like a shooting or attacking position. Uh, some of it is agency at some point. And he just, he doesn't, he hasn't done it in games. It's the same thing with Frank. Like there was a point at which like you thought, all right, well, maybe he's just being told to do a dribble handoff at the top of the key. But at a certain point, like, dude, if there's an attacking lane there, you have to take it. And he's not. And that's just kind of who he is. And it seems that's the same way with Mitch now. Yeah. And I, I think we have to be, uh, we have to remind people and like Instagram is not real life. You know, the handles and the shot that you show off in Instagram workout videos is not what you can do in an NBA game. Um, yeah. And I think that maybe that raises expectations or like piques people's interest, but those are two separate things. And I think, it, what it shows more so is how insanely talented NBA players are at the sport of basketball that they can do that type of stuff anytime they want, but still not good enough to do it in a game. Yes. A hundred percent. Like if you, if you had like Mitch, Mitch on a pickup team, yeah, he would be like, like a member of the Harlem Globetrotters, but in an NBA game, he can't do any of that. Yeah. So, you know, um, 
I don't know. We'll see if he can like if he can add just a little bit more offensively. Like I think then there's a really good player there. Um, but it's we'll, we'll see when it comes. Um, are you are you still uh, a Frank believer? Have you given up hope yet? I feel like he, I, I believe he can be a useful NBA player. I think like someone is going to sign him next year to be a three and D wing and he'll be coming off the bench for a better team than the Knicks are and, and providing some value. I think my belief that like he could be unlocked as like uh Euro league, Frank or FIFA, Frank, whatever the nickname we FIFA gave Frank, him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think FIFA Frank is ever coming to the NBA and I've made peace with that. And I've also made peace with the fact that he's clearly not sticking around on this team. So all of the love and affection I've given to, to my French Prince over the last few years, I've had to slowly start letting go of, but I do think that there's a player there. If he can stay healthy and be used in the right way, he's just not, he's never going to be worth having been taken several picks ahead of Donovan Mitchell, but if I remember right, it's not like the Kevin Knox thing where there were rumors that the Knicks could have taken some of the other good players. The rumors were if they didn't take Frank, they were either going to take Dennis Smith Jr. or Malik Monk. So we were damned no matter what we did that draft. I think I think I remember at the time hearing that they liked Donovan Mitchell. Um, obviously, who knows? Right. It's I think that like it's hard. You hear like reports. Oh, the Knicks are interested in player X in a trade. They like player Y before a draft. Um, there's a lot of players that teams are interested in and like, like it's, yeah. it's, it's not a, you know, it's not like high school where yeah, I like that guy. I want to, you know, like, I like that girl. Let's go out. It's more like, there's a lot of interest in a lot of players. It's just, which one do you prioritize? Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, let me ask you a question. Let's play this game. Who's the next yeah. Knicks first round pick to get an extension. Who will be the successor to Charlie Ward? Uh, no, RJ is definitely getting extended if he's not traded. The only circumstance, like if, if they can use him to get somebody better than him, then he's not extended. But if he stays with the team, they're obviously going to. Uh, I don't think they're going to extend. Uh, it's hard to imagine them extending Knox unless he's willing to come back cheaply. So, I mean, it's it's got to be RJ. Um, Mitch, things seem troublesome right now for the reasons you and I talked about. I think the odds are probably much higher of him being traded or allowed to leave as a free agent after that dirt cheap four-year contract is up <laughs> than him being extended. So right now I would put my money on RJ Barrett. Okay. Well, we'll see when this happens. He's he's in his second year, so we're 2021 now, I guess. I will know either by the fall of uh, 2022 or after 2023 season. Yep. I wonder if we can bet on it. There should be a place where you can bet on if the Knicks pick will get an extension. All of my money right now is in GameStop shares. So GameStop I can't shares? really afford to bet. I'm, I'm, I'm st- <laughs> you missed the whole like Reddit thing where Reddit is messing with the hedge funds. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm still, I'm just impressed you have enough money to still invest in GameStop shares. Where I don't right have now. enough money to invest in anything. I've got, I've got a kid going Rolling to college Stone, next man, year. paying you. <laughs> Christ. I've got uh, to, I've got to fi- scrape up enough money for college tuition in the fall, Mike. I don't have any investment money anywhere. Uh, I listen. I can make some cryptocurrency recommendations for you off air. Okay. Watch, watch your money, ten x. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I want to ask you before you go about one thing, and that's a TV show I've been watching lately. What do you think about Wandavision? I want to talk about it all the time. Okay. I well, what do you think about Wandavision? First, let's let me flip it on you. Um, I like it. I, you know, Wanda and Vision were not two of my favorite Marvel characters. Actually, I yeah. don't really know who any, anyone who likes Vision. Um, 
I, I'm serious. Does anyone like Vision? He's he's kind of you know. I said that Hawkeye is the worst of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, yeah, characters, and I stand by that. Uh, but I think Vision is also high up there. I'm not sure what he does. What, like when you uh, we talk about it, like a team, what does he bring to the team? Um, I like Wanda. I think I love that she's just ditched her accent. Um, yes, it's just gone. Uh, I, I guess she's kind of erased that. Um, I like the show a lot. I I get all you know. I don't get all of all of the TV references. I know as you've written, like you can tell it's kind of progressing throughout the years to different shows from different eras. And so I'm interested. Like now, I'm wondering as much what the uh, what the next episode will be about, as much as like what the theme is that it's going to point to. Like I don't know. I, I like it a lot. I'm curious to see where it goes from here. And you know, like you're trying to think of like, okay, what is this a dream? It's your imagination. Yeah. Like what is real and what's not. I, I've only seen as much as you guys have. They gave critics three episodes, which is more than we sometimes get from Disney shows at this point. Yeah. Uh, and they're not giving us any more in advance. So tomorrow morning I will wake up and I will watch WandaVision and recap it. I mostly like it, but I'm like a sitcom history nerd. So it's very sort of exciting to me to say, oh, look, like this, they're borrowing this from the Dick Van Dyke show or they're borrowing this from Bewitched or they're borrowing this from the Brady Bunch or, or any of the other influences that they've done. Yeah. I think that's fun. But at the same time, it's like so far, it's mostly been a lot of like sitcom pastiche, but not as funny as any of those shows are other than maybe the Brady Bunch, because the Brady Bunch, as much as I love it, was not a good or funny show. It's just something that we all watched if you were my age, because it was on in syndication. And so like, it's a lot of time to sit with like an incredible recreation of the form minus the main thing you came to that form for, which is jokes. Um, so it's interesting to like, see the energy that, that Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany and everybody else bring to these characters and to these different genres. And I'm definitely like you curious about what's going on with it. And I think I have more affection for these characters just cause I grew up reading Avengers comics where, uh, those two characters are huge mainstays of the team. Like everybody else keeps coming and going and they're always there. Yeah. Um, in that way. So I'm curious to see what happens with it. Thus far, it, it feels more like a teaser that they've turned into three episodes. Mm -hmm. And my guess is after the way the last one ended, we're going to start getting more of the plot and then we'll see what it is. But it's definitely interesting and I'm enjoying it. And it's fun to write about because I get to get my like history nerd on in that way, as opposed to like just leaning on stuff I know from the comics, which is what I expected to be doing. You know, what's nice, actually. So I'm watching The Crown right now with my wife and, you know, we're binging it. Obviously, we got to season four in like, I don't know three weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that WandaVision is once a week. I like yes. this model of releasing shows. I know it's what uh, Disney Plus did with The Mandalorian as well. And I, I wonder if we're still going to get to a place where like people go back to, you know what? What about this thing where we just wait a little bit for a TV show? It's not so bad after all. I think that there are some shows that are better for it than others. Like Mandalorian is very clearly built as here's the mission of the week. The crown really is the same way. It's sort of a unique among Netflix shows. Yeah. It's a lot to take a lot of it once, but I'll, no, but also every episode is here's a Royal crisis yeah. of the week and like months or even years will pass between the events of each episode. So it would really be well-designed to be watched on a weekly basis. It's just not because it's on Netflix. And I, I like that model much better. I think a lot of those streaming shows that are designed to be watched all at once are, are kind of lame. Uh, and it's just the fact that they're all there makes you lazy and it makes it easy to keep going, even if they're not that good. 
WandaVision, I think, would actually, they would have been served a little better if it was, like, if that was a binge show. Because I think then some of my impatience would not be as strong because I would be able to get to the part with the story Mm -hmm. sooner. But at the same time, I also like the fact that using this structure forces them to, like, each episode is an episode. This is one of my, like, if, if you follow me on social media, you will be tired of hearing me say this. But, like episodes are the thing that separates television from the movies. Yes. It's, the, it's the advantage that they have that here is a relatively self-contained story, even if it's part of a serialized bigger thing, you get an experience within this half hour or within this hour that is, is meant to be satisfying in and of itself. And WandaVision is definitely doing that so far. And The Crown does that. And a lot of other Netflix shows don't. They just say, all right, well, we're making a 10 hour movie. And nobody wants to actually sit through a 10-hour movie. That's a bad idea. Mm. And so you just get these big, like, amorphous balls of plot, and that's frustrating. So I think, like, aiming for the weekly release forces people to actually make television, and that's good because there's a lot of really good things about television that you can't do in the movies, and that's okay, and you don't have to be embarrassed that you're doing it. Yes. I Listen, I, I totally agree with you. Um Although the other thing that I want to mention was the crown, the trippiness of watching season three, episode one, without knowing that they were going to change the character. Like, the oh, actors. you had somehow missed that. I like, yeah, that's I'm, good. I'm late to the crown, and season three blew my mind. And it took a, like an entire season to adjust to. I don't remember a show ever doing that. Do you? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's that's happened every now and then where, th- where things get recast. I mean, like, I know the Fresh Prince, like, switched, you know, Aunt Viv's, like, a season or two in, but I... I'm trying to think of another show that spans that big a period of time. I mean, there's, uh, like, for instance, uh, My Brilliant Friend did that, where for the first few episodes, they had little girls playing the characters, and then eventually they become teenagers, and it's two new actresses doing it. Um, Okay. So it it, it does happen now and then if you have these sort of era-spanning shows. It's just there haven't been a lot of them. Okay. I, I, it took me a while to adjust to that. I, I mean, yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll see where, where WandaVision goes. Maybe we can talk about this later on. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to come back. I feel like you said at the start, like you could spend the entire hour bending my ear about TV. I bend your ear all the time in DMs about the Knicks. And so, like, I appreciate you always indulging me, Mike. And, like, if you just want to do a TV episode, I will come back on and we'll, we'll do TV questions for the whole time. I'm happy. It's the least I can do. I listen, I have a young, I have a young child, a toddler. Uh, and so now my TV, some of my TV watching is expanding into like Coco melon, uh, <laughs> and all that type of stuff. And I, and that's just in another entire TV universe I was not ready for, but I also have thoughts about it. There's a, there's a perverse nature to some of these shows that's kind of worth getting into, but that's, that's just for maybe. Uh, my I, I'm going to give you one name. I'm going to give you one name. I would probably wait until they're like three or four and they can follow it better. Okay. But there is a show right now called Bluey. It's right. on Disney Plus and and on Disney Junior. It is like my favorite thing of the last year, and it's is that good. Yeah, and it's like made for like little kids, like preschoolers. And I don't have preschoolers anymore, and yet all four of us come into the living room together <laughs> and watch Bluey. That is how good that show is. So I don't. I I you would wait until you get the proper impact from it, but I think you're going to enjoy it when it comes. Okay, I just started watching Peppa Pig. And maybe it's just a nice little accoutrement with the crown, but I like the accents and it, it kind of sucks you in. Yes. Oh, muddy puddles. I like playing in muddy puddles, George. Yeah, it's nice. 
No, I, I I think these shows are better than I expected them to be when I was not yet a parent and like, oh God, I have to watch this show. There are uh, some that are really good and there are some that are absolute garbage, but the same could be said for adult programming as well. And you just have to be smart enough to find it. And I'm so busy reviewing adult stuff that like I need to get my kids TV recommendations from other people. So <laughs> Uh, well, I would read a Bluey review now that I'm now I'm actually interested, like intrigued by by what it is. Uh, yes, I w- the episodes are only about ten minutes each, so literally, if you just want to like dial one up on Disney Plus, like now you could do it and get a sense, and then figure out when you want to start showing it to your kid. But I think I think you and they will like it. Okay, uh, I'll I'll set it up. I'll make a mental note for when uh, when my daughter's a little older. Great, um, Alan. That's all I got. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Thank you. Uh, you can follow Alan uh, on Twitter at Seppenwall and obviously read his work as the chief TV critic at uh, Rolling Stone. And like I said, I earnestly listen to your show all the time. So I, I would recommend people listen to his podcast. Everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, and we'll catch you guys next time. Next episode of the Long Twos podcast. Bye.